Hello and welcome to the Movies Are Good Podcast. My name's Panan and I'm your host. How's it going, everybody? You know what? It's um it's a bit of a strange week, actually. This is the first week I've done this, and I haven't had like loads of new films to just get right into. There was one big release this week. It's Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, and that's what we'll be talking about first. But also on this episode, we're gonna cover because I kind of half missed it, we're gonna go back and look at Creed 3's release and Kind of the whole Rocky and Creed franchise, actually, because it's a pretty long one, and because watching all of those movies for the first time, except for the original Rocky, is the reason that I missed it this far. I I took a little while to catch up, and so I didn't see Creed 3 until this weekend, when I had a little spare moment at the cinema. Um, Tetris came out this week as well, the movie just starring Tyron Egerton on uh, Apple+. Plus. And uh, then there's this... And, yeah, ugh. <laughs> there's this animated movie... It's like a Spanish-made one, but it was released in cinemas here this week. It's called Mummies, and I guess we should talk about that too. Also, the long-awaited talking about Raiders of the Lost Shark. Because, wow. (laughs) Just, wow. Yeah. Okay, so we're starting with Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, I I just got back, basically, from the cinema seeing this. So it's very fresh in my mind. When I first heard about this, it was kind of like a, oh... Oof, <laughs> they've just got a quirky, weird ensemble together. They're going to try something here. It's probably not going to work. I was reminded of, like, the 2000 Dungeons & Dragons movie, and I was like, yeah. It's just probably not really going to work out too well, is it? And then an, uh, kind of test reviews came in, and they were, I, was, I was hearing comparisons to things like Thor Ragnarok, which really made me think, okay, maybe I'm wrong. And uh, even so... Despite, like, all the good reviews that I'd seen in just the last week or so coming up to the release, I still couldn't get myself really excited for it. Maybe it's the kind of fatigue that having seen Thor Ragnarok and then having seen Thor Love and Thunder (laughs) gave me, but uh, I really, in the end, uh, loved it. (laughs) I'm still a little bit surprised, honestly, because I really thought going in okay, so it's not actually going to be, like, tragic or really bad it's probably going to be quite good but i'll be a little bit like eh i wasn't expecting still to come out of the cinema feeling like hey (laughs) fuck yeah (laughs) and it really is it's just great fun basically chris pine michelle rodriguez sophia lillis and justice smith and i gotta say justice smith yeah no I, i don't normally like him that much um, I feel like he's normally playing the same character. It's not that fun or interesting a character. This one confounded my expectations a little bit. I expected to really like Chris Pine in it. I expected to really like Sophia Lillis in it. And I expected to really like Rene Jean Page in it. And I did. I liked all of them. Michelle Rodriguez, I liked more than I thought I would. She kind of... There's still elements of like, yeah, that's Letty. Because... That's what Michelle Rodriguez does. <laughs> She's more guilty of that than Justice Smith, but it just annoyed me less. Justice Smith, his character is what you expect from Justice Smith. I feel like more and more a lot of actors just play themselves in every role and get away with it. <laughs> to be fair, that's always been the case, really, if you look back. But uh, it's a great ensemble. It really is. And there are a set of thieves who have to... Well, it's you know what? It's a little bit of a convoluted story. And I gotta say, more than anything else... This film is a beacon in, well, both a good way and a bad way, probably, to every dungeon master out there with a half-assed script for his campaign, a love of memes, 
and weird set pieces that don't really make sense. It's a beacon to say, yes, you can actually be a movie scriptwriter. <laughs> All of them harbor the thoughts, either movie scriptwriter or fantasy novelist. Every single Dungeon Master wants to do one of the two. You know what? I think this film at last proves you can do it and it would actually work. I don't know, actually, yet. It's too early to tell if it's going to be a really, actually, big box office success and lead on to more of these. The marketing campaign was good. The early test reviews and stuff was, was good. I don't see a reason for it not to do well, but the box office has been a bit weird lately. Shazam went down hard. Ant-Man didn't actually go down as hard as people said it did, but it still wasn't great. Uh, it's been a tough year so far for things to really make a big profit. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't have expected this to before I saw it, now that I've seen it. I hope it does. <laughs> but anyway, these thieves, they're trying to break into a castle. It's a tough castle to break into. It's a, its not at all a heist movie. I gotta say that. You would expect it, right? That is that is my primary expectation going in, that it was going to be really fun and quirky, but it was going to be in the heist formula and was going to be a bit, ugh. It's not a heist movie. Um, and that's very relieving to me because <laughs> that was the kind of formula I was scared of it falling into. And it doesn't. It does actually fall into the formula of a D&D campaign. I mean, I've only I've only played a couple of different campaigns. I'm not I'm not a veteran player myself, but I know what D&D campaigns are, how they're structured, how, what they look like, and this is one. <laughs> it's got the side missions, it's got the oh goddamn, we just did all this, now it's all irrelevant. Yep. It's got um just convoluted stuff and enemies to throw in there and amazingly weird set pieces and stupid weird orifices that kind of look like buttholes and all the kind of things that you would think, yeah, any dungeon master worth his salt's gonna chuck all that in and just just have at it. And it's beautiful. It's it's really fun. I gotta say, right like two rows in front of me in the cinema when I was seeing it, there was this group that was so, so clearly, you know, we don't like to judge books by their cover around here, guys, but they were so, so clearly a a group that played D&D together. Like, a lot. <laughs> you, I, I shouldn't need to, you know, say all the exactly what they looked like and everything, but they looked like a group that plays D&D together a lot. And they were laughing their heads off and going, eh, at each other the whole movie. It was kind of annoying, but it was also nice because you thought, yeah, it really is. It really is the perfect representation of just a D&D game. And yet, you can really enjoy the movie knowing absolutely zero about D&D. That is an incredible mix. But it, it goes to show that D&D is such a great game for people who have never played it. If Even if you've never played D&D before, you would probably end up loving it. That's what so many people, that's what I experienced my first time playing it. I mean, I, I was, I'm just a standard nerd. So I kind of always thought if I got into it, I would probably enjoy it. But I did. I really did. And I've never met anyone who's actually tried it who continues to, like, shit on it and say it's just for, like, super nerds and weirdos. It is just for super nerds and weirdos. But it's also for just anyone who enjoys a bit of creative, weird, kooky fun. And the same thing goes for this film. I, I don't know who's going to end up hitting it, really. I just I just don't know, because people who don't like D&D &D will still enjoy it. But it is very specifically D&D. &D. 
it's it's perfect for people who love the game for people who don't it's wonderful um in terms of the actual like story it's uh it, it is very dnd campaign-ish the way it's formatted and stuff which is nice and worked out quite well um it it feels almost episodic almost like it's set up to be like a TV show more than a film at times, but it was really nicely put together. You've, they start in the prison, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's characters, they have to break out and then go and find Hugh Grant, who used to be their friend and has Chris Pine's daughter, and he's shacked up with this scary evil priestess who nobody else knows is evil, and then they've got to build a team, break into the fort and castle thing, and get out with all the treasure and his daughter. And, um... It's got a lot of great moments. I'd say more than Thor Ragnarok, it reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it's almost like a cross between the two, but you trade in all of the sci-fi elements for just fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty That's pretty much a perfect description, I think, because it does have this like team who are just kind of self-interested and come around to realize that they've got to save everyone at the end. And um, the dynamics are there. They're good dynamics between the team. I like all of the relationships that they're kind of building, and it would almost be a shame to not get to explore it more. Honestly, I would be as interested in seeing those characters come back, though, as just a completely new set. You know, a completely new, like, campaign still in that world that it's built, just with different actors, different characters. Because I feel like the fresh start of a completely different campaign with a similar style, is probably about as interesting as trying to do it that way, trying to show off this more of those characters in the same situation. I don't know. I don't know which I'd prefer, honestly. Um, but I really did like everything that they did with these characters. I thought they were great fun. Um, everybody had their own little things and nice stories. It really made you feel like you could be and enjoy playing as any of the four main characters. I loved René Jean Page because he was so obviously one of those dungeon master controls this NPC and then just has to get rid of him randomly at a certain point. So the, the crew themselves have to do all the work at the end. That was great. Um, there's really, there's not an element of this that I could say was particularly weak. There are some really fantastic scenes for just pure comedy like in the graveyard when they have to they've got this thing that allows them to wake a skeleton up to ask it five questions but then it just dies again and then you have to go ask one of the other skeletons five questions and um that is played beautifully that is a really funny scene but there are a lot of those it's got thinking over it, it's got a few kind of heisty elements and things like that but it really never strays into proper heist trope territory, which I'm so exhausted of at this point that I'm really relieved. <laughs> I think everyone's really exhausted of it. So it's really nice that despite this being a movie about thieves doing thieve things in a thievey world, they don't really tread into that kind of territory. That was great. Overall, I think it is just a marvelously fun film. Um, it, it is. There's no other way to describe it. It's just fun. It's just only concerned with having fun. And that's kind of how D&D's meant to be. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just what it's meant to be like. Um, and I'm so happy that it really did just work out like that. It could have gone so viciously wrong. I mean, we've seen three big D&D films before, and yeah. 
it normally goes wrong. So it's no, it's so nice to see, and I'm guessing that most of the people involved in at least the writing and things like that behind this are mega D&D fans and have played loads. Because I just, I can't imagine them encapsulating this style so well without having done that before. Anyway, <laughs> that's kind of, for me, like an 83 out of 100. It's a, it's a solid five stars, I gotta say. I have to, I have to tread into five stars for that. And I, I don't tread into five stars for big blockbusters like that as lightly as I used to. But it, it's just so perfectly fun. I want to watch it again immediately. That's exactly what you want out of that sort of film. It should have huge rewatchability. It should be something that you can just sit down and be like, oh yeah, this one, yeah. Just once every year or two. For ever. <laughs> that is what makes a really great blockbuster, and that's what this achieved for me. So, next up, Creed 3. This is a long franchise. It's a really long franchise. And watching back through it all from the beginning, I'd already seen Rocky before, but I'd not seen any of the other Rockies, any of the Creeds, before I sat down this month and watched through all of them. And what are my main takeaways? They're better than you think they are. For the most part. <laughs> In my head, I was always like, yeah, Rocky. Phenomenal movie. Again, phenomenal movie. And I kind of, from everything I heard about just the Rocky franchise in general after that, I just thought it got really trashy really quickly and wasn't that good after that. Not so. <laughs> I mean, not really so. It gets trashier quickly after that, but it's, it's trashy in a fun way still. And the Creed movies, oh, that is now safely ensconced as its own great trilogy of movies. I, I thought they were all good. None of them hit the top tier of like of like the original Rocky, but the original Rocky is just <laughs> it's just incredible. It really is. Um, if you're starting as, as like a ranking, as like a general ranking of these movies, um, you can put Rocky Five at the bottom. Let me explain something to you. There's only one bad movie out of those nine, which is impressive. But it's bad. <laughs> but it's a bad one, for sure. Every every other film in that franchise, I'd say, is safely at least solid. If not great, every one of those other eight movies is at least pretty good. Rocky V, uh, no. <laughs> Rocky V starts immediately after Rocky Four. He's just got back from Russia, and all these people are going, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And he's like, no, wait a minute, I'm just going just gonna to retire. And then he does. He actually, he actually does, and he sticks to it. Whole film does not get back in the boxing ring. He does have a weird family drama where he then get trains this other guy and isn't looking after his son properly because he's busy training this other guy, and it's a mess. And yeah, um, and then the other guy becomes champion and then wants to fight him, and then they just have a street brawl, and Rocky wins, and that's it. Like Rocky doesn't get in the boxing ring. This is the Rocky movie. Where Rocky doesn't box. How could it ever have been anything but trash, you know? So that's kind of at the bottom for me. That's like a that's like a thirty nine. That's that's pretty rough. Um, then it's Rocky Four. Rocky Four is actually memorable um, for a lot of reasons, especially now the Creed franchise. There's so much about, you know, especially in Creed Two, you know, Creed and Drago. Oh, and. Rocky Four is the movie where Drago killed Creed, and then Rocky goes to Russia to fight him, and whoa, it's a good movie. It is. It, it's a good movie. That's what I meant. This is second from bottom, but it's it, it's not bad. 
It's still a good, fun time. Yeah, it's kind of trash. Yeah, it's kind of, oh, if he dies, he dies. Like, Drago says, I think it's something like 20 words in the whole movie. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren's debut. Like, looking back, he's had, like, a pretty solid career he's made out of having broken out from this movie. He just says, like, 20 words, and he stands there and goes, Hur. and then boxes Rocky at the end. It's... <laughs> Um, it's a weird movie, yeah. But it is, it's great. And part of that is just because Rocky 3 and 4, they just had, like, Survivor songs a lot. Just had, like, Eye of the Tiger, Burning Heart, just playing a lot. There are a lot of montages in Rocky films. Wow, yeah. (laughs) These films, oh my gosh, they love a montage. Every single one of them. Maybe not the fifth. Was there a... I hate the fifth. (laughs) It was awful. Um... But yeah, no, Rocky Four. then, it's kind of like 68 out of 100 for me. Like, it is. It's a good time, don't get me wrong. But um, it's just not as good as the others. Just played an outright. After that, Rocky Balboa, or Rocky Six. Um, this this is what Rocky Five probably should have been. Rocky Five kind of just randomly lost all his money, and he was back to where he began. And it, yeah, <laughs> That was, in essence, not the worst idea, but kind of what it did next was awful. Um, Rocky Balboa, Adrian's dead. <laughs> and she was kind of the heartbeat of what kept him going through all the other movies, so it was it was interesting to see him try and find something new to care about. And then he gets challenged by the current world champion, even though he's in his 50s for the, this exhibition match, and he just gets back in the ring. And it is kind of... it's. Like, that's the most kind of farcical premise is, oh, he's in his 50s and fights the world champion of boxing. Okay. (laughs) Like, it is dumb, but it just kind of did everything better as an actual, like, send-off for Rocky. And obviously, like, then he appears in the Creed movies, but as far as an actual send-off, this is still the best one he got, really. Because he just kind of isn't in Greed 3. <laughs> He's just not in it. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think Rocky Balboa, actually a good movie. That's like a 71 out of 100 for me. Um, then it's Rocky 2. Some people shit on Rocky 2 for just being a rehash of the first movie. And yes. It is. <laughs> like after Rocky ends and... Creed gets declared the winner, and everyone's like, oh, that's a bit controversial. And then he goes, right, well, let's do it again. And Rocky's like, nah. <laughs> and then eventually gets coerced into, oh, let's, okay, fine, I'll do it again. And then and then the fight itself is exactly what you expect it to be. It goes all the way again, and then Rocky just wins this time. And it's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Creed franchise did the same thing. It had... Creed losing in, at the end of the first film, and then in the second film, it just kind of began with his rematch for the title where he goes and wins it. It just kind of started with that. That was a much smarter decision in general, because this film just does feel a little unnecessary. It's good. It's very well done. Rocky and Adrian get married, and it's nice and just happy, a friendly kind of sequel, but it feels like it was happening to just kind of happen. Rocky 3 is where the franchise starts to become a franchise. 
feels like a franchise. This felt like, oh, yeah, oh, gosh, we should go and fix the fact that he lost at the end of Rocky by having him go and win after that, right? And it's because Rocky was such a great movie and ends in that way. It's an easy cash grab. It's like saying, hey, after Infinity War, we should do another Avengers movie where they actually win this time. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer for Hollywood. So it was good. It's surprising almost to me, looking back on it, that it's this high up the list. But I, I do think it belongs there above those other ones. Um, it's a kind of 75 out of 100 for me. After that, Creed 2. That's the worst of the Creed movies for me. Creed 2. He, he's, it's all caught up in Rocky history. You know, um, Creed, the first movie, does a good job of setting it apart as its own franchise, setting Adonis apart as its own character, and then Creed 2 just feels like it's going, okay, how can we do something that makes people go, oh, that's a Rocky thing? And that's basically what it was. And it did it well. I still think, you know, it's this high up the list. It is an actual good movie. I've heard some people say it wasn't actually that good a movie. I think that's false. I think it is a good movie. Um, I think it does, yeah. Again, it does kind of some sequely things that Rocky II did, which makes you go a bit, okay, it just feels sequely like too much. And it does some things that were kind of very Rocky IV-ish, um, <laughs> like the whole plot. But, uh, but it is good. I liked Drago's son's character. I liked their story and journey. Um, and yeah, I liked Creed's journey. And I particularly thought Rocky's journey in this was nice. And it was a nice kind of send-off since he's not in Creed 3. That might be the last time we see him on screen as that character ever. And it was a good take on it. So I'm glad of all that. And I'm giving Creed 2 a kind of like 78 out of 100. Yeah. Um, then it's Creed 3. We'll talk properly about Creed 3 now. Going in, um, I kind of knew what the plot was. That's it. <laughs> like, and I guess for these movies, like, the the actual, like, main plot is kind of a line. You can really, you can really squeeze it in there normally. Rocky 1 is underdog fights world champion. Ooh. And Creed 1 is underdog fights world champion. Ooh. But a little different. Um, <laughs> Creed 2, or Creed 3, it literally is old friend underdog but bad underdog fights champion Ooh. <laughs> and jonathan majors is very good well not i don't know what's going on with any curtain it doesn't matter um <laughs> he's very good in the film michael b jordan's very good in the film although his character is a little i'm man i don't talk about emotion hmm i'm man maybe i should learn to talk about emotion Oh, I man, I learned to talk about emotion. That's the three acts of his character throughout the film, which it felt a little bit like... <sighs> but okay. Also, like, he's been married to this woman for like 10 years. He still hasn't told her everything. God. <laughs> Seems crazy to me. But, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it doesn't feel like they really... It's true that they didn't have anything for Rocky in this movie, and it's nice that they didn't just shoehorn him in. Uh... It feels like they just wanted to throw emotional punches by just randomly killing off Creed's mother. Um, which was fine, I guess, as a decision. It didn't really do a lot, um, but it, it happened. And um, yeah, Jonathan Majors plays this character brutally. 
he gets out of jail and he comes to Creed under the guise of an old friend saying, hey, can we, can I train? Can you help me out? Maybe get me a shot at the title. And Creed's like, you're not a professional boxer. That would be ridiculous. And then does it anyway. And uh, and then and then he fights the champion and he beats the champion. And then he comes to fight Creed because he's, I don't know, just a prick. <laughs> Uh, it's very strange because there is definitely a point where it goes from, oh, he's actually like quite a shitty guy. He's multi-layered. He's an interesting character to, I will fight you now, Creed, and destroy you. And he um, kind of comes out of it at the end again. But that is, for the most of the third act, how Jonathan Major character comes across. <laughs> um, but overall, I think this is a nice, different kind of story that actually i was going to say that rocky movies wouldn't have told i mean (laughs) they probably would have if they'd kept going for longer they probably would have come up with a story like this yeah because rocky was kind of from the streets and probably had like friends who ended up in bad places and then could have come back yeah no no that's true but uh overall i think it was a really good job i think it was really fun i think it had a really nice ending note to it and I hope they just stick to that now. Because what else do they have to do here? What else do they have to prove? It's just going to get a little silly like the Rocky movies if they go for any more. Because this movie already... It was already retired at the beginning of this movie. He has like his final fight and then it skips forward a couple of years. He's been retired for years by the time this whole thing with Jonathan Majors happens. So... I just think you only get one of those, and after you do one of those, if you do it again, it's really dumb. <laughs> if you do another, he's coming out of retirement again thing, it's just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so, the fact that they already did that, they already made a big deal about, oh, well, you're really messed up. Like, you've got all these prior concussions and injuries, and yeah, no, that's going to be really hard for you to get back in the ring. And then he just montaged, and he's back in the ring. Um, <laughs> I do feel like, yeah, this one definitely has weaknesses to it. It was overall just fun enough that it still gets its high up for me. And these movies, most of them, they're a little silly, but really fun anyway. And this one hit the right emotional notes for the most part and did really well. So um, giving that one a kind of 80 out of 100. Then it's Rocky 3. Let me explain to you something about Rocky 3, okay? <laughs> I said it earlier. Rocky 3 is when the Rocky movies went from Rocky movies into a Rocky franchise, okay? Because he is the champ at the beginning of this. He's the champion. And he has this journey of getting overconfident, getting brought back down to earth by Mr. T's Clubber Lang, who also made a whole career of just having been discovered for a Rocky movie. But he says a lot more than Drago did, so that works. Um, And he is. He's this different kind of fighter. He's this really gruesome, bitter, uh, like, evil guy. And he knocks Rocky down, he takes him down, he takes his title, and then Rocky has to completely rebuild himself after Mickey's death by teaming with his old rival, Apollo Creed. And that's just... Just everything about it was just, oh, yeah. (laughs) So many of the things about what you think when you think about Rocky movies, you think about, oh, yeah, him and Creed becoming friends. You think about, oh, Mickey's death and how hard that was for him. You think about Adrian becoming, instead of just being this quiet voice in the background, really starting to speak up and be like, well, Rocky, go and get there and do this. Come on. Um, And you think about the crazy training montages to great songs like Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) 
This film has all of that. It's not better than Rocky. And it's not quite, for me, better than the first Creed movie. But it is just up there as an actual fantastic movie. Creed 3 is the last one that I'd say, yeah, that's very good, bordering on great. Rocky 3 is the first of these movies that I'd say, yes, that's an actually fantastic movie. Great movie in its own right. Um, it's got such a fun journey to it. It's got such a great villain. And I love the ending. It doesn't go that many rounds, the fight in the end. I think it went like second or third round. But it's just like, yeah, everything came together perfectly for him. It doesn't need to be another 15 round slobber knocker. Most boxing fights aren't like that. <laughs> the fact that both of the ones in the first two were kind of makes you think, yeah, maybe just, <laughs> maybe just, maybe just don't for once. And yeah, I loved what this one did. So I was really happy with uh, Rocky Three in general. That that was the biggest surprise for me because I expected to really like the, at least the first Creed movie, and I knew I already loved Rocky. So watching it through all these for the first time, this was the biggest surprise, but in a really nice way. And just it did have me going, oh yeah. That's the stuff, <laughs> like, a lot of the time, which is really cool. Um, next, it is Creed 1, and that's... It's a very good requel. It's a fantastic requel. It might be, it might be one of the best requels out there so far. Um, if you don't know what a requel is, it's kind of a reboot. It's kind of a sequel. This one is... Yeah, no, it, it kind of is a proper requel, because it's got old legacy supporting characters like Rocky to come back and it's set in the same world but it's modern take on it with new characters new style to it that was really nice um everything about it worked perfectly Adonis Creed the illegitimate son of Apollo Creed taken in by the widow <gasps> raised by her because he was from a troubled background oh yeah rises by getting training with Rocky to get this shot at the world title oh yeah it just, it just works. And it takes its time. That's my problem with a lot of these movies. You look at things like Creed 3. Jonathan Major's character does not have a professional fight first. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't build him up over a couple of years of training or anything throughout the movie. No. He just comes out of prison and he's like, well, <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm ready for this. I am, I am already as good as the best boxers in the world. And it's just a little... Uh, <laughs> What's great about the first Creed movie is it does take place over quite a bit of time. Rocky starts training eventually, and then Creed goes through a couple of fights, and um, and then he gets this underdog out of nowhere opportunity. And at least it just feels like it makes a bit more sense that way, <laughs> like just a little bit more logic to it, which is nice. Um, Rocky's journey is really good. And that was a unique idea for him, the getting the cancer and choosing whether or not to fight it. That was well done. I really enjoyed that. And uh, and Creed's journey itself is excellent. The ending, it's a little bit predictable. But, <laughs> but it's done right. It's done right, and I really enjoyed it. So I think it's a great movie. It's just a flat-out great movie. It really is. But it's not as good as Rocky. Creed gets like an 84 out of 100. Don't get me wrong. Huge, great score. Even better than Dungeons & Dragons, I'd say. But Rocky, the original, the one best picture, you know, baffling in this day and age to look back and think in the 70s, Sylvester Stallone wrote, directed and starred in a movie, Tommy Wiseau style, <laughs> and, and it won best picture. But it really is just that good. 
I just love it to pieces. It's so nice. He's just such a weird character. He's just baffling. Rocky, especially at the beginning, is just like... He's not like anything I, I think we've ever seen as like a leading character in a movie. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that since. Um, and the romance with Adrian is just so nice and innocent and sweet and weird. It's just great. And the build-up to the fight, the fight itself, that first like initial... All the training there... Oh, with Mickey, it's so good. It's so well done. And um, and I love it. <laughs> There's nothing more you can say about it. I just love it so, so much. I've watched it a bunch of times. And yet, this is the first time I've ever ventured beyond and gone, yeah, it's time to sit down and ro- watch the rest of the Rocky movies now. But I'm giving the original Rocky like a 92 out of 100. It is just on that level. And it's one of those films that you either really feel that for it or you don't. And I really felt it for that from the first time I watched it. But I've heard a lot of people say, like, no, watching back, I really don't get it. And I go, fuck you. (laughs) I mean, I I go, oh, that's okay. Yeah, no, everyone has their own opinions. (laughs) No, I go, fuck you. Um, So (laughs) that's my kind of ranking. You know, Rocky Five at the bottom, then Rocky Four, then Rocky Six, then Creed Two, then Creed Three, then Rocky Three, then Creed, then Rocky One. Yeah, easy. Easy choice. Rocky is the best. Requel is second best. You know, for a lot of franchises, that's starting to be the way. Same with how I feel about the Scream movies. Original is best. Requel is second best. Yeah. But requels are just often. It's getting more often now. They're actually really good. Yeah, got to give them that. So. I, you know. We'll talk about Tetris first. I don't want to talk about the Mummies movie, okay? I don't. I'm running away from it. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> Tetris. Tetris came out this week on Apple TV. And it stars Taron Egerton as the guy who basically uh, made Tetris a big deal. Didn't make Tetris, but made Tetris a big deal. Yeah, because the guy who made Tetris is, is Russian. So he can be in the movie and, and be like his friend. And no, oh, forbidden American-Soviet friendship. Oh, yeah. Kind of makes you think of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and Predator going, oh, but, um, <laughs> but uh, Taron Egerton has to be the American guy who goes, yes, I'm going to make this a big thing because that's what Americans do. They just take something fun and turn it into a big mess. And yeah, anyway. Tetris, great game. Love it. I play Tetris a lot on my phone. Still, even today. I, I just, yeah, I'm just a nerd. Um, so, <laughs> the movie is about this guy who finds out about Tetris at a convention for games where he's trying to sell his own game that he made, but it's not very good. And then he figures out maybe I should try and get the rights to Tetris. So he gets the rights to Tetris, and then he goes and tries to get more rights to Tetris, and then he figures out that he never had any of the rights to Tetris, and then he tries to get all the rights to Tetris, and a big winner-takes-all gamble. And almost gets arrested a bunch of times. Partly because the Soviet Union is mean and corrupt and evil, but also partly because he just broke laws. <laughs> just straight up. So, yeah, they, they kind of had it in every right to actually put him in jail, but that's fine. So, um, it is a really fun movie. For a true story movie that's mostly set in the Soviet Union during the Cold War and is terrifying and uh, the, the the collapse of the Soviet Union is imminent and there's all kinds of, whoa, you know, dark thriller-esque intrigue to it. It's a really fun movie, which has some really weird video gamey bits. And those are like quirky in the way that like it feels like it shouldn't work, but it kind of does. In the same way that a lot of things about like Kingsman felt like it shouldn't quite work because it's too much of a meme. 
but it kind of works anyway. Yeah, Taron Egerton films just seem to be like that. And this does feel perfect for him, from having seen him in Kingsman and Rocketman. This feels perfect for the style of film he's cultivated being the lead for. I'm assuming Matthew Vaughn's maybe involved in this in some way as well. I didn't see. Um, but yeah, it really is. It's got things like, oh, level one, level two, level three, as he goes throughout the film and things get higher and higher tension. It's got little bits like during a car chase scene, it kind of, it has like pixels flying around, stuff like that, video game style. Like it's it's almost too much of that kind of, oof, right. But it, it does work because it is just this like fun thriller. It's not quite Marvel-style meme or anything like that, but it is, it's a little bit of a quirk to it. It's not really quirky, it's not like Dungeons & Dragons kind of madcap comedy, but it is really fun and weird, despite mostly being a dramatic movie. Mostly. And, and I've got to say that they did really well, the friendship that buds between him and the Soviet guy who made Tetris. Um, and that does seem to be at least somewhat based in fact. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you want to buy about this being a true story in general, but it does seem like he went there to the Soviet Union boldly to try and get the rights to sell Tetris. Um, and the whole thing was really about the handheld rights because supposedly, though it turned out later all businessmen are bastards and are lying, supposedly all the rights to like having Tetris on um, like arcade machines and on like video game consoles and everything like that and PCs, it was, it was all sold. But once Nintendo came up with a Game Boy, he said, I can get that, I can get Tetris handheld rights and we can use that as the launch game for the Game Boy. And as you probably know to history, or maybe not, that is what happened. So it's about how he managed that and how that was then a huge fucking deal. Um, but it is, it's such a fun movie for a movie that is about a, a war, a bidding war between different parties for the rights to sell a video game. Doesn't sound that exciting, but we're we're about to see a movie all about making shoes for Michael Jordan, and that looks really good as well. So just run with it. It can work. And, and these kind of businessman films that glorify weird American business practices, they kind of are fun a lot of the time. <laughs> um, and it really is. It's not incredible, but it's a really fun, interesting movie that I could definitely watch again. So I gotta give Tetris like a 72 out of 100. It's just a really fun film. There's nothing else to it. It's it's a film that shouldn't be that fun. But it really was. It was enjoyable. It's, it's It does a pretty decent job of that kind of tension and thrill ride. That kind of, not, not quite espionage thriller, but it does, in small ways, do kind of bits of espionage thriller style and sometimes is doing more of a deconstruction of those kind of films as well. That's a, it's kind of a weird mix, but it's a really fun film. You've you got to check it out if you've got Apple TV. <sighs> we should talk about mummies. <laughs> you have no idea how little I want to talk about mummies. Okay. It's an animated movie. And it features three mummies who live in a world inside a coffin, inside a tomb in Egypt, where they get to live eternally, it seems. 
they get brought to the real world trying to get a ring so that this guy can marry the daughter of the pharaoh for all time. Wait. <laughs> I shouldn't get into the flaws in logic in this movie, but for some reason the pharaoh doesn't seem to have a wife as a daughter, they're all eternal, and as far as we're aware, have been living in that eternal realm since ancient Egypt times, so thousands of years already. This guy, the main guy, is a charioteer, never married, but has retired from charioteering now, so he's just going to sit around for all time. And he's got to marry the, prince, the, the pharaoh's daughter forever. How is overpopulation not a thing? It doesn't matter. Also, they're not really mummies. Like, they, none of them are like, like, they're all partly wearing, like, oh, toilet paper looking, you know, <laughs> like that. But none of them are fully wearing it, ever. Like, so, yeah, they're just ancient Egyptians who get sent from ancient Egyptian paradise to the modern world. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> It's so bad. It's such a bad movie. It's just sad. It's like the the daughter of the pharaoh. It tries to do like a Jasmine in the live action Aladdin sort of feminist thing. Like, yeah, you could choose your own path. But her path is, yeah, you could stay in the real world and be a singer. Seriously. But if you do, then the guy who's meant to be your husband's going to get like killed for going home without you. So, and at one point, she really, she really thinks about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's just bad. It's just bad. It's got this bad guy who basically wants riches and fame by showing that there is this other world. And then it's unclear. I think he just gets murdered at the end. I think they just murder him. Yeah. It's, um... It's bad. Also, at one point, I'm pretty sure that she goes, like, viral and gets, like, a her, the songs she sings gets, like, to a number one hit on the charts after getting a whole whopping 10 million views. And don't get me wrong, 10 million views is a lot, but number one on the charts for getting 10 million views worldwide. Hmm. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a minor, you know, there are a lot of flaws in the logic of this thing. But uh, that's just a minor gripe among the many... <laughs> gripes that I have with this whole thing. It was a mess. Um, I, I hated it. I thought it was so dreadful. Not not like really, really next level bad, but pretty close to it. It's um sneaks, I'd say, into a two-star movie. Just. But like just. It is it's just cringy. Um the humor's just really not there. The plot is so childish. Dumb. Mild amount of cultural appropriation. On behalf of Egyptians and British people. God. The 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 mean like recurring joke throughout the film, which I have to say occurred oh my god, so often, was the bad guy keeps accidentally saying, like, oh mummy, and then his phone goes phoning mummy and phones his mother and he's like, Oh no, it phoned my mother. I swear to god it happens like six times. Such a bad movie. Um, I gotta, I gotta give it like twenty-two out of hundred. It, 
Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, that is maybe my worst trip to the cinema this year. Awful. <laughs> just, just awful. Very sad that I saw that in cinema. So, let's move on to a much better... Oh, no. No, never mind. Um, so, <clears throat> movies are bad, and therefore every week we talk about a movie that is, uh, that is not good. Um, and we just talked about one, but we're going we're gonna to talk about another one. This week on Movies Are Bad, I've got a film that... You know, I got it on DVD, given to me by a terrorist of my joy, that, <laughs> that um, wanted to see me suffer, I think. The movie's called Raiders of the Lost Shark. Raiders of the Lost Shark. Yes. Um, and ironically, it was a temple of doom for my joy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There are several things about this movie that really baffled me. First of all, it's not an Indiana Jones ripoff. It's just a shark movie. <laughs> they just, they were making a shark movie and they were like, hey... We could call it this. Holy fuck. But they made no effort at any point to even make, like, a reference to Indiana Jones. You would think it. You would hope at least, like, an Easter egg or, like, something, you know? Nothing. Nothing. You would hope that the shark would somehow, like, melt someone's face at some state. Like, anything, you know? Or there'd be, like, a like Nazi show up. Or, no. Nothing. Nothing like that at all. Um, instead, it's about, hear me out here, a shark who... <laughs> is around this island or something, and he's being experimented on by the military. We don't exactly know how experimented on, but he does fly uh, near the end. Chooses not to fly for a long time and then reveals he can fly near the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and basically, the film is uh, just about people, like a, a surprising number of people going to this... Canadian island beach, which isn't a beach, it's just rocks, and uh, getting eaten by this shark. Like, there is somewhat a story going on there over the course of this 70-minute, barely, runtime, but mostly it's just about random scenes where people come to the lake, normally in pairs, and I should I say lake because it looks like it's just a lake. It doesn't look like this was actually filmed on an island, just, just at a lake. Um, small lake. But there's a shark in there, okay, hear me out. <laughs> it's a big shark. Um, it can fly. And um, somehow weaponized by the military. They do actually say at one point, uh, I think we made a killer shark. And all sharks can be killers, so I guess this one, they just give it roids? Like, I don't know what they did to it, okay? <laughs> it can fly, but I don't know what they did to it. Um, and yeah, there is this kind of half plot about these people this, like, group of people who go to the island. But they only get there, like, 40 minutes into the 70-minute film. Yeah. And, um... And then there's also this woman who wants to kill the shark, and she goes to this professor who apparently knows about this stuff, and, yeah. It's kind of got the plot of the Meg, but not really. Um, and the worst thing, the worst thing, because when you look at bad movies like this, there's, like, there's, like, just bad movies. And um, and then there's so bad it's good. Like, it's funny because it's so bad. But then there's movies that know they're this cheap. 
they know they're that bad. They know that they aren't actually any good at making movies. So they just make fun of that, fun of themselves in some way. And it really, really works well and actually becomes a fantastically fun B-movie. This is not one of those. Because instead, it failed at being a movie and then failed at trying to make fun of itself for feeling at being a movie. The result of that is that I'm giving it four out of a hundred. It's so terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it, it tries hard. It is not actually even, I'll give, I'll give it this one piece of credit, it's not the worst shark movie I've ever seen. Ouija shark is. Same kind of situation, but they summon the shark from a Ouija board, and it's a ghost, and a shark. But that was, that was like three out of hundred, so that's like only an inch worse than this, okay? <laughs> it is that terrible. Um, it's an awful time. And I want to just move on uh, quickly. Fortunately, we can just move on to something nicer. Couldn't have gotten worse. So, every week I talk about something that's not an actual movie. Something out there in the world of pop culture. You know, I talk about games. Sometimes I talk about TV shows. Sometimes last week I just talked about the Oscars. This week, a little bit different. I want to talk about an anime. Because you know what? I've been getting more into some animes lately, and there's been a couple that have really taken the world by storm um, recently. And I gotta say, one of them is Spy X Family. And I decided to sit down and watch Spy X Family. And I gotta tell you, it's actually so good. <laughs> I just wanted to take a few minutes to rave about Spy X Family. Imagine this premise, okay? It's kind of cookie even for an anime. The world's top spy who seems to be fighting for West Berlin against East Berlin. They don't call it that, but that's essentially the setting here. Um, the world's top spy has a mission to basically find out the plan for war that the leader of the war committee for basically East Germany has to fight the West. They do actually say East and West. So, <laughs> And to do that, their plan is that he should become the father of a family, create a family, adopt a child, send her to the fanciest school in the country where the son of the leader of the war committee goes so that he can try and get close to him like that. <laughs> yes. It really is that insane. But hear me out, it gets more insane. Not only is he the, the you know, spy trying to pretend that he's just a psychiatrist, normal guy dad, to this child who he has adopted, but the child, Anya, who is about six years old, has telekinetic powers and can read his mind and knows he's a spy, but he doesn't know she has telekinetic powers. Then he gets a wife, Yor, who, well, let's say she thick. And she is one of the world's most deadly assassins. And the child knows that she's one of the world's most deadly assassins because she has tele telekinetic powers. But the guy who's the best spy in the world doesn't know that she's one of the best assassins in the world or that his daughter has telekinetic powers. And the irony is that he's so good at discovering everybody's secrets except those lurking under his own household. And also, she has no idea that the kid has telekinetic powers or that he's a spy. And uh, her brother works for the secret police who he's working against, and that's a whole thing. And then their dog can see the future. 
it occurs that I'm not sure whether I wanted to review this show or just talk about that premise, just get it out there. Because everyone know, well, a lot of people know about it already, but just saying it out loud is, is, wow. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Um, it is a wonderfully fun show. It's, I mean, for someone who hadn't watched a lot of anime prior to this, I really got very quickly into it off the back of watching this show and going, oh my god, that's amazing, give me more. And there's others that I've watched since, and I might talk about some of those in future weeks, but I just had to mention, yeah, that's out there. There's like 24 episodes of it in that first season, and it was so goddamn good. It is awesome. And you know what? The baffling thing? They barely make an ounce of progress (laughs) in that first 24 episodes. I don't know how long this is going to go on for, Hopefully forever. Um, but yeah, that's the actual plot, is he's trying to get close to the, this guy. And he just, he doesn't, he, he has one conversation with him by the time the first season's over after 24 episodes. Nuts, but awesome. Great show. And uh, that's pretty much us for the week. There's only one thing left to do, and that's the look ahead. We have got a slightly busy week next week. There's a few things going on. Main thing is the release of the new Mario movie. What are my expectations for the new Mario movie? You know what? I think I'm going to like it. I don't think I'm going to love it. I think it's going to be about a little bit above the first Sonic movie for me. I think it is going to be quite kid-friendly, but it's made by Illumination. So I think it's going to have a vibe similar to things like Despicable Me, hopefully. That, yes, it's kid-friendly, but does everything it needs to to make everyone enjoy it. I think it's going to have a little bit of a Wreck-It Ralph kind of vibe going on. A little bit of a Lego movie vibe. I do think we're all going to be sitting there going, oh, Chris Pratt, (laughs) the man on Instagram, made an April Fool's joke that he was going to be the voice of Mickey Mouse, and there were people in the comments going, (laughs) I I don't know how you type that sound, but they did. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think looking at the cast, I really like it. I mean, we've been making fun of Chris Pratt in the lead-up to this, getting cast as Mario, and it is ridiculous. But most of the cast, I think I really am going to love in those roles. I think they're really great for them. I'm predicting it'll be on the edge of getting about four stars, maybe kind of three. Three to four. Um, The other big movies coming out next week are Air, which I do think is going to be good. I think that's going to get a solid four stars. I think that's going to be a really fun movie. It's got a great cast. It's got Affleck and Damon together, and then it's got guys like Jason Bateman. It's, It's going to be a great cast. Um, a really fun movie, and I think it's going to be quite feel-good. Um, the Pope's Exorcist probably won't be that feel-good. I, I just never thought I was going to see Russell Crowe in an Exorcist movie with the word Pope in the title. Um, <laughs> look, it's, based, it's one of those things like The Conjuring. The Conjuring worked because it was this mix of genuinely scary, genuinely good, well put together, good cast, and based on this kind of true event, true events. Um, and the Pope's Exorcist has similar vibes, except I think it's going to take itself more seriously than The Conjuring does. Conjuring films are kind of quite good for having these moments of levity in between scenes where it's scary. If this to some degree does that, and normally with horror movies where it's religious people as the leads, they don't manage it. If it does, I think this could be really good. I doubt that, though, so I'm guessing it'll be a kind of low three stars, maybe dipping into two-star territory. That's my worry. I'll hold out a little bit of hope, though. Um, On a Wing and a Prayer is coming out next week. Stars Dennis Quaid. Um, 
I don't know a huge amount about it. It's coming out, it's an Amazon release, I think, on Prime Video. Uh, and it looks fine. I'm guessing like a standard three stars. It, it's a standard situation where the plane's going down and he has to take over controls and try to land it, sort of thing, it seems. So I'm guessing it'll be... Yeah, none of those is ever going to be airplane. That was just genius. So um, I'm not looking forward to it, really, but eh, could be interesting. What I am looking forward to, and I have to say, I'm really not looking forward to it, is the Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I can't wait. I'm going to finally get to see this. I'm very much excited and horrified. And that's going to be my movies are bad <laughs> entry next week, because I just have... 100% faith that it's going to be a one-star movie. <laughs> but I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm very much looking forward to everything. I cannot wait for next week, as always, because movies are good. So thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you later.